I've had people tell me that counting calories isn't bad. Okay, that may be true for you. But what happens when my breakfast is five calories? What happens when I have a cup of coffee or a Dr. Pepper or like a glass of chocolate milk for breakfast and then I don't eat? until the end of the day and even then it's 500 calories give or take those are on the bad days so what happens when it's bad Hey, welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today, I'm here with Solstice, mental health advocate and owner of Chaos of a Broken Pedal. Connect with Solstice on Instagram at Chaos of a Broken Pedal. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you really? You know, today's been a good day. I got to call with my partner and that that was very exciting. It always brightens up my day when I get to talk to them. Oh, I love that so much for you. And I'm so like, my day is so bright because I get to have you on and record with you. And tell me more about Chaos of a Broken Pedal. So Chaos of a Broken Pedal, um, I had had a blog type before, but COVID happened and I got really overwhelmed. So I recently started Chaos of a Broken Pedal because when I look out at the world, it is definitely not what I would like to see. Like there's mental health advocacy, but there's not a lot of, okay, this is what I did. This is my struggles. It's there, but it's not there as much as it should be. Exactly. I think that there are so many mental health advocates out there. There are so many people sharing their story, but it's not as prevalent as it should be. Mm -hmm. And it's not as emphasized as it should be. The platforms are often kind of pushed to the side. They don't work well with the Instagram algorithm or Facebook or LinkedIn or really any (laughs) algorithm. No, it's not what Facebook and Instagram and all of that wants to see. Exactly. So that's why I'm so inspired by you. And I would love to learn more about what started your journey as a mental health advocate. So my mental health issues started very early in my life. Um, I was four when I first just didn't want to be alive. Um, That is the second memory I have of my life is just not wanting to be there. And that's a four-year-old shouldn't feel like that. Um, And then moving on in life, I've been in therapy since I was six when my parents got separated and then ended in a divorce. Um, I've been hospitalized multiple times. I've put in effort that was helpful, but it wasn't the environment that it should have been in. Um, And so... I kind of just decided that one of the things when I was hospitalized the most recent time, I wasn't seeing what I needed to see online. So I decided this past year that I was going to become the thing that I needed to see. 
I love that so much. There's this quote that be the person you needed when you were growing up. And that's exactly what you're doing. And that's such an amazing pain to purpose story to see at four years old, you were struggling. You don't even know who you are at four years old. And to know that you and to know that you were struggling and to recognize that and then to start therapy so young and be in and out of the hospital for mental health is so difficult. And for so many people, it would break them. It would it make nearly them. did multiple times. And to take all of that and use that to want to help people and to share the stories and amplify people's voices and amplify your own voice is such a beautiful thing. So thank you so much for being a person. Yeah, one of one of the things is I've had people ask me why it's the broken pedal. And one of the things that I broken isn't necessarily bad. There's art forms where you intentionally break and put things back together, but they will never be the same. So broken doesn't have to be bad. You know, I've had this conversation with my therapist. I am the broken glass on the inside of a kaleidoscope. I love that. I, my life, I view things differently, but on, in the end, and it's still beautiful. It does not change. Your worth does not change. I absolutely adore that. And there's this quote as well where uh, there's a crack in the window and that's how the light gets through. And Mm -hmm. that's exactly what you're saying, that those cracks, those breaks, they're what makes you human. And that's what gives you the ability and power and empathy to be able to get through the hard times and to want to help other people through it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So recently you wrote an article about living with an eating disorder. Can you share more about that article and your experience? So that was the first article I had written in over a year. Uh, The longest article I've ever written. It is 3,500 words. And one of the things, I did it for my own personal mental health because it's one of the things that when you don't have a label to put on it, when you aren't medically diagnosed, you don't get the support system. And I was very open about a lot of things in that because it's not just teenage white girls who are all skin and bone, who have eating disorders. It's, that is the stereotype, that is the media portrayal, but that is not it. That's not just that. Um, and so when I was writing that, there were a lot of tears. There were a lot of tears, but I needed people to know, A, this is what it's like. B, this is what you don't do or say. And C, if you are experiencing these things, you are not alone. I love that. And I love what you said about the stereotype and the way that the media portrays an eating disorder. Because a lot of people don't reach out for support when they're living with an eating disorder. A lot of kids who are living with an eating disorder, their parents kind of write it off because it doesn't match the label and look that it's been given. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times 
kids go to therapy or people go to therapy and they're trying to express what they're going through. And because they don't have that look, they don't necessarily see that they're living with an eating disorder. They don't feel it. They don't know how to advocate for it. And it's really hard. And then a misdiagnosis or a missed diagnosis of an eating disorder can be so detrimental to someone's health. Eating disorders are silent killers. Mm -hmm. Eating disorders are some of the most underrepresented, unseen, and they just aren't responded to. Um, And they have underlying issues. And some of those are permanent. For example, I don't have a whole lot of enamel on my teeth anymore. Wow. Like, that's, you can't just slap a stick on it and say, oh, hey, look, I've got enamel again. Yeah, that's so true. And these are long-term effects that come from eating disorders. Mm -hmm. I know when I was struggling with mine, one of the biggest things was patches of my skin were completely white. I couldn't Mm -hmm. get any color in my skin anymore. My kidneys were starting to shut down. And you don't really see that. Other people don't see it. And they don't know what it feels like. And a lot of times, these symptoms kind of get pushed to something else. It has to be a physical health. It can't Mm -hmm. be related to mental health. Because our society is so focused on physical health as Mm -hmm. overall health. When really, it's a combination of both. Yeah. And then you've got diet culture that that culture will screw with your head and then one of the things that I've had said to me when I've been struggling is oh I could stand to lose a few pounds I wish I had your self-control eating disorders aren't aren't really controlled you don't get to wake up one day and decide oh I'm just not going to eat. You, that's a process. And one of the things when, when I realized that things weren't going great, I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew it wasn't going great, was when I was strategically planning when to eat so that people wouldn't notice. I was eating once a week at my grandmother's house for Sunday dinner because if I didn't, people would notice. Thank you for sharing that. That is such an amazing warning sign to look out for for eating disorders. When food becomes a strategy, eating becomes Mm -hmm. strategic and you're eating when other people are watching only because you don't Mm want to eat alone. You don't want to eat in general. And you're doing it so other people don't notice. That is a huge warning sign that a lot of people miss. What do you think are some of the other warning signs that people tend to miss? So some of it is not eating specific foods that you used to eat because they aren't your safe foods. They are either normal foods or fear foods. And safe foods are the very specific foods that you can eat without feeling like crap about it. My safe foods are very, very different than most people's. I like, I still don't eat a lot, 
I eat a couple of times, like once or twice a day, but I eat my safe foods because I know I can eat those and all of a sudden not need to go to the bathroom or be outside for several hours. So it's just the thing of not eating things like you used to, um, needing to go brush your teeth right after or being somebody telling you that they just ate and they're going to go brush their teeth. That is one. Um, Kind of feeling a little bit off when you're eating with people. It's it's just a combined thing. Um, One of mine was when I was getting a lot of chewing gum because I figured out that chewing gum will help my hunger go away. So I chewed gum like it was going out of style. And eventually I got to a point where I just don't get hungry a lot anymore. Um, so when it when you're strategically planning to eat, or you're just eating with people, or the flip side, you're just eating alone. Because I know with mine, sometimes when I'm binge eating, I don't want to be around people. I don't want them to see me eat like that. So it's just, you have to watch very specifically of when things are feeling different. I think those are incredible warning signs to look out for. And I can relate to so many of them. I did the same thing chewing gum because gum really helps suppress your appetite because your body is chewing. It thinks you're having food. Mm -hmm. I remember I also used to drink so much water, just kept drinking water. Because if you drink enough water, it it sounds really weird because it's not food. But if you drink enough water, you can trick your body into not being hungry. Exactly. It can fill you up. And like you said, like going to the bathroom after you eat to brush your teeth. Or for me, I would just run to the bathroom while everyone was at the dinner table. If it was like a holiday, I would just excuse myself and run to the bathroom and hide for a little bit because I didn't want to be sitting at that table with everyone watching me to see if I was eating or not. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, I've definitely been. It's really hard when you're living with an eating disorder, especially an undiagnosed and untreated eating disorder, because you're mm-hmm. not getting the support and resources that you need. Yeah. And then you've got things like where I've, I've been to hospitals and stuff, but my therapists weren't clinical psychologists. They weren't like doctorate level, all of that. So they couldn't diagnose But I've been told by multiple therapists that I have just about all of the signs of bulimia. So I know exactly which one I have. And it fits in to what it is, to what I experience. It is so hard when you can't be officially diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And when the doctors tell you that, or the counselors or therapists are telling you that you have all the symptoms that you fit the box for bulimia and you're not able to get that treatment and support that you need is so difficult. But what were some of the symptoms that you were really experiencing that led you to realize that you were dealing with bulimia? So I have, well, I'm not diagnosed, but what I've been told is I most likely have bulimia with anorexic traits. So I don't eat And when I do eat, 
I either eat very specific foods or I eat like small portions or I eat a whole bunch. But regardless, except for if it's my safe food, I feel miserable about myself. I feel nauseous. I feel like I have to throw up. I feel like, okay, I need to go exercise to get this off. So it's kind of just this thing of you have to, you know yourself better than anybody else does. And a lot of eating disorders start with wanting to be more fit or whatever. So I remember I was in the hospital and um, I would eat a salad for lunch and dinner and I would just drink a carton of milk for breakfast. And that was it. That was all that I ate. And then we went out on what's called an outing and my safe foods were there and I could eat. And I can remember just everybody staring at me because it was the first time that they had seen me legitimately eat. Wow. And then we got back and it was back to two salads and a glass of milk. Wow. It's so hard when you are unable to find your safe foods, when you are unable to feel comfortable eating. And then when you finally get to experience like having your safe foods and Mm -hmm. people see you eating and it kind of feels normal for a second. And then when you get back, it's like back to reality where you can, it's not there. It's not there. And it's such a terrible feeling going back to that. I I am one of the lucky ones. I work at a place where my safe foods are are served. I work at Subway so I can make my safe foods. I love that. It's so important to have your safe foods and to kind of start going through recovery and learning that food doesn't have to be bad, Mm -hmm. but it's so hard to get to that point. But when you go from eating once a week to eating a couple times a day, that is a huge step in recovery. Mm -hmm. And every step is so important. Yeah. And I do have to be careful, like how much of what I eat, because even with safe foods, if you over, like if you overdo it, it's still going to get the nauseous feeling. So I still have to be careful, but it's better than once a week. That's absolutely so true. And then on top of that, you have societies like invalidation of eating disorders. So as someone who's experiencing an eating disorder, living with bulimia, it can be really hard to get people to understand Mm -hmm. because they think, like you said earlier, it's a chosen disease. It's a chosen illness. It's not. not, And it's romanticized in today's culture. Like I said, oh, I wish I had that self-control. I wish I could count my calories. That is after I told somebody that I was eating five to 700 calories a day. Wow. That's not healthy. (laughs) That is, and your body can go into survival mode with that. And you either lose weight, but once you lose enough weight, your body all of a sudden is clinging to everything because it needs something. Exactly. 
Yeah. So it's, you, you kind of have to find a balance. You have to find people who will support you. And I've had people tell me that counting calories isn't bad. Okay. That may be true for you. But what happens when my breakfast is five calories? What happens when I have a cup of coffee or a Dr. Pepper or like a glass of chocolate milk for breakfast and then I don't eat until the end of the day? And even then, it's 500 calories, give or take. Those are on the bad days. So what happens when it's that? Exactly. Yeah, I, yeah people, people cannot convince me that counting calories is a good thing for me. Exactly. Counting calories is different for everyone. And first of all, the idea of counting calories at like 1,200 a day is still too little for a human mm-hmm. being. So the culture that we've promoted of calorie counting is very toxic and very dangerous on many levels because mm-hmm. we don't actually know the right number of calories for our bodies unless we're sitting with a nutritionist, with a doctor who can help us figure out our body weight, our goals, and how much yeah. we need to survive based on our exercise at levels as well. And most people don't do that. Exactly. And like you said, for you, it's very dangerous. For me, it's extremely dangerous. I had to stop counting my calories. I had to throw out my scale. I will not step into a house with a scale. Mm -hmm. I hate going into my mom's bathroom because I see a scale or my brother's room when I see a scale and I have to step on it. And then I have to punish myself because Mm -hmm. it's never going to be the number I want to see. No matter how thin I get, no matter how much I don't want to eat, no matter how much I work out. It's always too much. It's always too much. And people and, don't realize. Yeah, that. like you, for example, I fit into about half of the stereotype. I am a teenager. I am small. Part of that is due to my genetics. My mom is four foot ten. My dad is around six foot. And my mom is very small. Um, so I fit in to that. I could theoretically eat whatever I wanted to and still be able to keep what I look like but the issue is what if that's not what I want to look like that's very true and that's such a deep question to ask yourself because Mm -hmm. it there's so many levels that go with an eating disorder that so many people don't realize And like you said, the stereotype, when you look the part of the stereotype, it's even worse because people write Mm -hmm. it off. It's -hmm. just a normal thing. Yeah. Of course, you're dealing with it. When they don't write it off, it's, I need you to eat. Like if, if you, if you love me, you would eat, or if you would love me, you would stop purging or, or if you love me, you would stop binging. Exactly. Yes, I love you. That doesn't mean I love myself. And that's one of the things that people have told me countless times is you cannot love somebody else until you love yourself. That is so true. Yeah, and one of one of the things I can 
the way that I love people. I don't particularly love myself. I'm working on it, but I don't particularly love myself. But one of the things I've always said is there are specific people that I love so much that I forget how much I hate myself because I feel good loving that person. That is beautiful. And I think that's something a lot of people can relate to. And like you said, you can't love others until you love yourself, but you can love others and loving others can help you to love yourself. Mm -hmm. So when, when people tell me that I can't love somebody just because I don't love myself, that may be true for some people, but that's not necessarily true for everybody. I don't love myself, but I love a bunch of people and that is helping me learn to love myself. That is so beautiful. And I think so many people can relate to that, to that feeling Mm -hmm. of not being able to love themselves. And a lot of that goes into these standards that society has created. Mm -hmm. This idea that you have to look a certain way, that you have to act a certain way, that you have to be a certain way. And when you can't fit into those boxes, because not everyone can fit into those boxes, most of us can't, you start to feel so hopeless and like, you're not good enough. And no matter what you do, you're (laughs) never going to be good enough. And social media has really amplified all those feelings for so many people. (laughs) For sure. Like, and magazines and stuff, because you look at the front cover of magazines or inside magazines or whatever, and you see these beautiful people who are very tall and very slender, and that just happens to be how they are. And then you look at yourself, and it's not the same, and so all of a sudden it's, okay, I don't look like this. I need to look like this. Okay, this is about health. Let me let me focus on being healthy and then it starts to get unhealthy, but you don't see that. You don't see that. And so it becomes an issue of, I will never be small enough for my brain to understand that it is good enough. I will never be small enough for that. And I know that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because small enough is never going to be achievable. Small enough would mean that I lose so much weight, but still manage to keep curves. That's not how that works. Small enough would be under, I'm just going to throw a random number out. Small enough would be under 70 pounds. It's not achievable. That would do so much damage. Small enough isn't a concrete thing. It changes based on how your brain works. Exactly. And like you said, you can't live up to what's inside your brain. And there are so many intrusive thoughts in our heads. No matter who you are, no matter what you're going through, you are facing some kind of intrusive thought. It's a human trait. But when you have more intrusive thoughts than you do positive and encouraging thoughts, Mm -hmm. it becomes so detrimental. 
And when you're talking to somebody and you're reaching out for support and you just want someone to listen, to hear you, to want to help you and be there for you, you want someone to reach out a hand to you and they just don't know what to say. Like you said, there's so many things people say when you have an eating disorder. Like, I wish I could um, have, I wish I had that self-control. I wish I could (laughs) lose weight that quickly. I wish it was so easy for me to lose weight. There are so many invalidating statements that people use that encourage those intrusive thoughts. Yeah. And what I don't think people realize is it's not easy. It's It's not easy to wake up and have a set amount of calories. And if you go over that set amount of calories, you go and you feel like you have to do something it's that is the and there's more eating disorders than just that there's arfid there's ednos there's 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 all of yeah there's there's pika there's binge eating there's um there's orthorexia so there's all of that and what i don't think that people realize is eating disorders is a class of disorders eating disorders is a class it is not just one or two disorders like we see in the media bulimia and anorexia and just because you don't have bulimia or anorexia does not mean that you don't have the eating disorder exactly and then there's also the media portraying it's usually a woman who's going through a hard time Mm -hmm. um binge eating and then running for hours Mm -hmm. and but they don't talk about it like it's an eating disorder they don't talk about it in a way that this person needs help or support it's It's, kind of like a joke how good they're doing like look at how how empowered they are to do something healthy but it's not it's not healthy and you know it like you said it's a joke it's a joke to them. It is. I remember there was one show I used to watch when I was younger where the character would like take unwrap a piece of char- chocolate, sniff it, and then throw it out. And it was like, it was a joke again. There are so many jokes in the media that make some people growing up watching it thinking, oh, that's normal. And that's how I should be. And then others kind of validating the eating disorder Mm -hmm. and making you not want to go into recovery. It's so hard to want to go into recovery. And when everything around you is making it like you shouldn't, it's even worse. Yeah. And there's one of the things I've had to remind myself is there's always going to be relapses. Relapses are part of recovery and recovery is a never ending process. Exactly. And so many people don't realize that it's not linear. Growth is not like recovery is not linear. Growth is not linear. None of that is linear. Exactly. And people are often so discouraged by relapses, by Mm -hmm. this idea of mistakes. And you're going to mess up. You're human. Something's going to happen and it's going to trigger these symptoms again. It's Mm going to trigger your coping mechanisms and it might not be the healthy ones. And that's okay. As long as you try to do better tomorrow. It's okay to mess up and make mistakes. It doesn't mean you don't want to heal. It doesn't mean you don't want to get better. It doesn't mean you've given up on recovery. 
It just means you're human. Yeah. And, you know, there, I know more people who have eating disorders who their parents encourage it. Like, I know somebody who stayed home from school, was sick, and had an active eating disorder, and their parent found out. But instead of offering support, when they made the chicken noodle soup, they just took out all the noodles. I don't want to mess up people's It's really hard. And then there's the factor of when do I encourage and kind of support the eating disorder so that they feel comfortable eating? And when do I push them to make that next step? And that's Mm -hmm. something that's so hard. And that's why it's so frustrating when people don't have access to therapy that they need. Yeah. Because a counselor can really help you and Mm -hmm. your family members learn where the boundaries are and where the lines are. Because you don't always know what you're supposed to do. And by taking the noodles out, like you said, the parent was thinking, well, I'm helping them and not realizing one of my issues with things like that is that solidifies the belief that food is the enemy. That's why I will not, like, don't put a trigger warning on food around me because that is the opposite of helping. Food is not the enemy, my disorder is. Exactly. Food is not the enemy, the trauma that caused my disorder is. What I don't think a lot of people realize is eating disorders aren't just, I want to be smaller. Eating disorders aren't just, I'm not going to eat. They aren't just body dysmorphia. Yes, all of those can play a part. But that does not mean that it's just that. I can tell you exactly what my therapist and I that caused mine. Mine is trauma-based. And when I was at my healthiest, I lost almost everybody. And that's happened more than once. And so all of a sudden you internalize that. And it's, I was not enough. There's something wrong with me. I need to fix myself. How do I fix myself? Okay, I'll be healthier. Maybe they'll come back. Oh, wait, they didn't come back. I just need to be healthier. I just need to be smaller. Maybe they'll love me and come back. Maybe they'll love me enough to choose me this time. When I'm smaller, maybe they'll love me enough. And it's you don't always realize that you're going down that rabbit hole. That is so true. And when our self-worth is tied to someone else's love and what we want their love to be, Mm -hmm. there is five love languages and someone's love language might not match yours. For me, mine is comfort and support. I want to feel validated, but for other people, it's not. So when I'm looking for support and they can't offer that support I need, it's not that they don't love me. It's that that's not their love language and they don't know how. Mm -hmm. And that is so hard to learn. And for so long, I thought it was me. 
I thought it was my fault that no one around me could comfort me the way I wanted and the way I needed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we all go through at some point in our lives is meeting people and connecting with people, whether it's people we grow up with in our lives or later on, whose love language doesn't match ours. And we internalize it. And we feel so guilty about about not being good enough, about Mm -hmm. being wrong. And then we're not validated as a human being. We're not worthy. It's our fault. And it's not. It it definitely isn't. It's people definitely don't realize what like what it means. Because like like we both said, the media sees it as a joke. Or when it's not a joke, it's oh look, this is such a good thing. Like look, they're being so good about like their weight and all of that there people really don't realize that even with the medical bmis and stuff that doesn't necessarily mean health i will always have a higher fat index than my siblings like that than my brothers do because i was assigned female at birth we naturally just have more so having a higher fat index doesn't necessarily mean that you're fat and even even the term fat it has been given a bad connotation it is a description it is not an inherently bad description it is just a word and you can be fat and you can still be a beautiful creature and a lot of people use that as a bad thing. I have before. Sometimes I still do. I try not to. But then you've got the people who I guess they mean to help. But when you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, oh, I'm fat. And people respond with, oh, well, if you're fat, then what am I? That is the least helpful thing you can tell me. I'm just going to put that flat out there right now. That is the least helpful thing you can do for me. You can tell me that you wish you had the motivation to count calories. All of that is still not great. But the worst thing you can tell me is that because you expect me to respond with, oh, I'm so sorry, or something like that. And I don't think people realize that the statements like that, especially when they're about ourselves, don't apply to them. Exactly. Me saying I am fat does not apply to you. Me saying that I am fat applies to my own decaying body. Exactly. It does not apply to you or your body. Because in my eyes, you are one of the most gorgeous things to ever walk on this earth, just like the rest of the world but I am not. I am decaying and I am decaying at a slower rate than I would like to. I am decaying, but I am still not small enough for it to be considered an issue. I think that's something so many people can relate to is when they look in the mirror and 
they don't feel comfortable in their skin and they use the word fat to describe themselves. I've done it a million times mm-hmm. and someone looks at them and says, well, if you think you're fat, what do you think of me? You must think I'm huge. And no. honestly, I'm not looking at you. I'm not thinking about your body and your weight and yeah. your size. I'm, I'm looking at so me. focused on myself and how much I can't love myself. Mm-hmm. I am not looking at you or judging you. And yeah. people just assume that you are. And I think that's one of the best big misconceptions of eating disorders is that you're judging everyone around you when in fact you're you're only judging yourself you're you're judging what you look like and body dysmorphia is a huge thing around it because what you see in the mirror versus what everybody else sees is always going to be two different things exactly and so when you say things like I'm fat yes you can say that like that's your own choice of words that is a description for why you feel uncomfortable in your skin I have done it multiple times I have done that more times than I care to admit but that does not mean that the person who is standing next to me who is taller who is built differently who is bigger and bigger is not a bad word but like who is just bigger than I am like and it's a beautiful thing it's it's great but that doesn't mean that I think that they are fat that they are unworthy that they are undeserving I think that about myself I don't think that about you you're standing next to the mirror doing your makeup and you look great I sit in the mirror and do my makeup and I feel like crap Exactly. And the word fat has been used to, like you say, said, negatively impact and hurt people. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's a word we really should try not to use because it has the worst connotation. It's telling somebody that they don't look good in their body, that they're Mm -hmm. not good enough in their body. And no matter who you are, no matter what you look like, no matter what size you are, what skin color you are, what gender you identify as, no matter what, you are worthy and you are beautiful and you have Mm -hmm. every right to be on this earth and to take up space and you deserve to take up space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that that is definitely a word that shouldn't be used as much as it is. Like, there are memes about it. There are memes about fat cats and all of that. But one of the things with that is it's telling you that it's okay to make some make fun of somebody that's fat. Exactly. It might be a cat. I personally think that fat cats are adorable. I love them. Um, but they're memes making fun of fat things. And that tells you that it's okay to make fun of people who are bigger, bigger boned, who have a higher fat index. Exactly. What advice could you offer someone who is looking in the mirror and who's not comfortable with their body, who's starting to starve themselves and not want to eat and is turned off by the idea of food and who's just struggling and who's not diagnosed, who's not getting any help or support, maybe someone who is overeating or undereating, someone who has to run for hours after they eat mm-hmm. someone who only healthy foods or all of that exactly. um 
definitely be careful that that is a road that is long, painful, and very hard. Um, find people who struggle similarly. Because when you find people like that, for example, I eat on the phone with my partner. Like that, that's just one of the things that I do. Find people who you know won't judge you. Find people who, one of the things for some people is having somebody tell you that they're proud of you for eating isn't always helpful. Unless I ask you to tell me that you're proud of me, which sometimes I will. But unless I do that, don't do it. So find people who struggle similarly. Find find an outlet. Find safe foods. If you're living with your parents, put it on the grocery list. Have your parents buy your safe food so you can always have something to eat. Figure out what is going to help you because it's not always going to be the same for every individual who has an ED. Exactly. That is such beautiful advice. Solstice, thank you so much for joining me today. I am just honored to have this conversation.